Welcome you again to our worship service. It's been a joy to sing the Lord's praise. I want to thank uh, Francis for praying for the Czech team and let us continue to pray for their ministry. There are a hundred unbelieving Czech people at that English camp and what an incredible opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Let us, um, we want to thank you for your support of the Czech team and just let's continue to also pray for them this week that the Lord would do a mighty work. Uh, we had a great time yesterday with the singles ministry. I want to thank all the singles for coming out. That was a very encouraging turnout at the singles breakfast, and I was just really encouraged by the fellowship and had a great time just uh, teaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on Paul's perspective on singleness. And I learned something that I didn't know is that uh, a theology of singleness needs to be learned by married couples, just as a theology of marriage needs to be learned by singles. And so for married couple, I'm just forewarning you, there may be a message on singleness coming up. Uh, it, was, uh, it is a rich part of the Word of God, and, uh, and Paul has some great things to say in that chapter. I want to thank all the singles for coming out yesterday, and we look forward to more, uh, more of those times to come. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open them to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And we're going to be looking this week and also next week at a precious passage of Scripture that is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And that will be our focus this morning and also next Sunday. This past February, I celebrated my 20th spiritual birthday. And I guess when you get to be my age, you don't feel that excited about your physical birthdays anymore. They're, they're not that encouraging, but your spiritual birthdays are still encouraging. And so I was saved in February of 1992. I was a sophomore in college, and I was invited out to church and the Lord graciously uh, saved me and reached into my hard heart and transformed my heart. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That was 20 years ago. And every year that goes by, you look back and you celebrate the Lord's faithfulness and how he's brought you through another year uh, full of dangers, toils, and snares, but his grace is sufficient. And this year I was reflecting back on the 20 years that I've been a Christian and really my prayer as I feel the age now starting to come upon me is, uh, Lord, um, help me uh, never to lose the wonder that I'm saved. Uh, Lord, no matter how old I get, no matter where I am in life, no matter what season you bring me through, just help me never to lose just the awe, the sense of wonder, the sense of amazement just at that simple truth that you have saved me, that you have, that I am a Christian, that I've been forgiven of my sins, that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, no matter how old I get, just help me never to lose the wonder at that simple truth. And yeah, Lord, I'm gonna get older in body and I already feel like I'm getting older in body. I already feel like I'm losing my edge a little bit and, and you know, life gets more difficult. But Lord, help me never to grow old in heart. Help me just never to lose that, 
just that simple joy that I first had when I first became a Christian and that I, I realized that I have Christ and if I have Christ, I have everything. And just that feeling that, that Lord, you could take, you could give me nothing else in this world. You could, you could give me nothing else in life. You could change nothing else in my circumstances, but if I just have Christ, if I have a relationship with him, if I've been saved through his blood, then that is enough. Lord, I just never want to lose that sense, no matter how old I get. And I do believe that the older you get as a Christian, the more that you progress in the Christian life, it is easy to lose that sense of awe and of wonder, just that you're saved, just that you're a believer, just that you're going to heaven, just that your sins are forgiven, just that Jesus paid for all of your sins. It's, it's easy to lose that, that sense of wonder that you could change nothing in my life and I'd still have Christ. You could, you could, I could never own a home or I could never get a job or I could never have a dating relationship or I could never have kids or I could never have a retirement fund. I could, my career could go south, but if I have Christ and I have everything, I have everything. It is so easy as you grow older in the Christian life just to, just to lose that sense of awe and of wonder at the grace of God that's been shown to us through the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ, you can move on. And you can get so engrossed and so enveloped in just so many details, so many responsibilities and activities of life that you, you, just, you just lose that sense. Oh, man, I'm a Christian. Man, God has chosen me for salvation. God has forgiven me of my sins. And when you're a new believer, you know that the Holy Spirit, there's just a freshness in your eyes. Your eyes are open for the first time. Your blind eyes are open to see and you see for the first time that man, Jesus is everything and there's nothing else more I need. And just the joy, just the joy of being found in him. But the more that you age, the more you get older, how easy it is to lose that sense of awe and of wonder. You know, the Israelites back in Exodus chapter 15, they moved on so quickly from being amazed by grace. I mean, they were delivered from Pharaoh. They were delivered from slavery. They saw the great power of God and the 10 plagues and in the parting of the Red Sea and all of their enemies drowned in the Red Sea and they saw the great amazing grace of God in their lives. And in Exodus chapter 15, they're praising God. They're rejoicing in their salvation. They're saying God is our strength and our song. And in one chapter later, in Exodus chapter 16, they encounter a difficult trial and they are grumbling and they are complaining. Oh, how easy it is to move on from grace. Oh, how easy it is to lose and to forget the sense of awe and wonder at what God has done in our lives. And my prayer has been, Lord, just no matter how old I get, just don't let me never move on. Let me never get too old that I would forget the wondrous grace that you have done in my life. As you age, you get busier. You take on more responsibilities. There are roles and there are things that come into your life. Life gets more difficult. There are seasons that come and it's just easy. It's just easy to move on from grace. What Paul is calling us to 
In Ephesians chapter two, verses one to seven, it is bringing us back to that foundational truth. He's bringing us back to the grace of God. He's reminding us of grace. He's reminding us of our conversion. He's reminding us of of what a miracle it is just that we are believers. He's calling us back to these foundational realities that we should never cease to be amazed at the grace of God. If you've been with us in our study, you know that the very prior chapter in verses 15 to 23 of chapter one, Paul has been praying for the illumination of the Holy Spirit in the church. Paul has been praying for the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of the church's minds so that their hearts would be open so that they would understand spiritual reality. He's saying you can learn spiritual truth and not really understand spiritual truth. You can know it in your head but not have it travel into your heart. And the flow of this context, what I believe that Paul would say is this, that if you want to be freshly amazed by grace, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to illumine your heart. But as we study this passage, verses one to seven, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and enlighten the eyes of our heart. Lord, do not let this be merely another intellectual study. Or flood our hearts with light so that we see once again the amazing grace of God that's been shown to us in our salvation so that we would be, no matter how old you are in the faith, no matter whether you're one year old or five year old or 20 year old or 30 year old in the faith, that you would be right here, right now, freshly amazed at the grace of God that has been shown to us in the greatness of our Salvation. So we are going to take this passage in two weeks, two Sundays. This Sunday, we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 as Paul calls us to remember how we were before Christ. As Paul called us to remember our lives before we became a Christian and how lost we were and how utterly desperate we were for hope. And then next week, as we come to the Lord's table... As we come to our time of communion, we will look at the sovereign work of God that he has accomplished in our life in giving us new life in Christ and regenerating our dead hearts. So for this morning, I want us to look at verses one to three as Paul calls us back to remember our lives before we were Christian. Let's read together verse one. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is moving us back. He's saying, remember your past. Remember how your life was before you came to Christ. And I'm calling you to remember your life before Christ, not for the sake of self-flagellation, not for the sake of merely being depressed about sin, but for the sake that you would be amazed by grace. Because we so easily move on from these truths. We so want to move on to practical living. We want to move on to being better parents. We want to be, move on to, to, to learning how to date or to, to manage our finances or moving on to these issues in our lives. And Paul says, no, the foundation for your Christian life is you need to go back. 
And you need to remember because your heart is so afflicted with the sin of forgetfulness. You are like the Israelites. You forget the work that God has done in your life. And you need to go back and remember who you were before Christ. And as he calls us to remember our former lives, he calls us to do three things in this passage. First, he calls us to remember your condition. Second, he will call us to remember your conduct. And thirdly, he will say, remember your condemnation. Let's look at these three things together as we look at this text. The first thing that Paul says to the church at Ephesus is he says, go back to the past and remember your condition. Remember your condition before you came to Christ. Remember who you were before your salvation. Verse one, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's calling to to remember your condition. This was your condition before you came to Christ. You were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. Paul is painting a stark and a blunt picture of sin that is characteristic of every single unbeliever in this world. He's saying that men are not sick in need of medicine. Men are not dying in need of resuscitation. No, men are dead. They are dead in their sins. That is the spiritual condition in which we once lived in. Notice the pronoun in verse 1. Paul says, you were dead. You were dead. He points to the believers in the church at Ephesus and he says, look, I'm not talking philosophically. I'm not talking theoretically. I'm just not talking as an intellectual notion that is impersonal. No, I'm calling you as a church to remember your past. This is personal. Remember how you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. And your sins, and until you remember that, believers, you will not be amazed by grace. If you have a false notion that before Christ rescued me, then I was just sick in need of help, or I was just weak in need of strength, or I was just dying and needed someone to give me medicine, then you will not be freshly amazed by grace. Being amazed by grace, being amazed by mercy being floored by God's love, being broken before the cross, being amazed and in awe that you are a Christian this day begins with remembering your condition. Remember, dear believers, that you were dead in your sins. And if you remember your condition, you will be amazed by grace. Paul says you were dead. You know, the Bible says, many very blunt and very clear things about sin. The Bible says you were blind in your sins before you came to Christ. The Bible says you were deaf in your sins before Christ rescued you. The Bible says you were hardened in your heart before Christ came into your life. But this has to be possibly the most stark and most most penetrating description of all. You were dead in your sins. You were dead in your sins. You say, Dan, I I don't know. Was it really that bad? I mean, I remember life as an unbeliever. I was pretty active. I did a lot of things. I mean, I remember my life as an unbeliever. And I was in, when I was in high school and I didn't, 
I didn't believe in Christ. I was dead in my sins, but I was pretty active. I mean, I did cross country. I went to school. I had friends. I went to dances. You know, I, I was in theater. I tap danced, believe it or not. I, I did lots of things when I was, in, I was an unbeliever. If you looked at me, you saw a smile on my face. I, I wore tie-dye shirts to high school, and, and I, I said hello, and, and I, was it really that bad? Was I really dead? And you might be looking at the unbelievers in this world, and you're saying, really? They seem pretty alive to me. I mean, they have jobs, they have families, they have hobbies, they have careers. Are they really dead? Well, Paul is saying in verse 1, He's not denying the fact that unbelievers have physical life. Unbelievers do have physical life and they do have a measure of physical strength. What he says here is that when it comes to the matters of the soul, when it comes to the matters of the heart, when it comes to the matters of spirituality, when it comes to the matters of the soul, which is the most important part of who you are because the soul is the part of you that will live forever. When it comes to the matters of the soul, your soul was dead. You had no spiritual life. And because your soul was dead, you were dead to the realities of Christ. You were dead to the realities of the knowledge of God. You were dead to the realities that are found in the Bible. You could not respond to the gospel because you were dead. And he says to the church at Ephesus, you need to remember your condition. You need to remember who you were before you came to Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says, before we came to Christ, we were darkened in our understanding. We were alienated from the life of God. We had ignorance that was in us due to the hardness of our heart. Titus 3 chapter 3 verse 3 says, for we ourselves, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and hated by others and hating one another. Paul says in Titus, when you see the sin that is running rampant in the world, oh, don't you dare, Christian, look at those those people with a self-righteous attitude. Remember your condition before Christ saved you. You were just as lost and just as blind and just as dead as they. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says that neither the sexual immoral, the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you. Such were some of you before Christ saved you. You were dead. And you walked in the trespasses and sins. That, 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 that phrase, trespasses and sins, describes the sphere of our spiritual deadness in which we once lived. This was our condition. This was who we are before Christ. And a dead man cannot respond. And a dead man cannot see. And a dead man cannot hear. And a dead man cannot choose. You were dead. Theologian R.C. Sproul has written uh, very helpful insights about Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And I've been greatly helped by his insights on this verse. He says, consider the analogy of a person who is suffering from a terminal illness. So there's a guy in the hospital. He's about to die. He has almost no hope at all. His heartbeat is about to go. 
He says, consider this person who is suffering from this illness. He is gravely ill on the brink of physical death. He doesn't have it within his own power to cure himself from this disease. He is lying on the deathbed almost totally paralyzed. He cannot recover unless God provides the healing medicine. The man is so bad off, catch this, that he cannot even stretch forth his arm to receive the medicine. He is comatose. God must not only give him the medicine, but God must also put the medicine right next to his mouth so that he can open his mouth and take the medicine into his body. That is how bad this man is. And unless God does all that and the man opens his mouth to receive the medicine, that man will surely Perish. Now Sproul says, look, in that analogy, in that picture of this, dead ma- this man who is about to die and he just needs to open his mouth to receive the medicine, do you believe that that is an accurate picture of salvation? Do you believe that that is what happened to you in Christ? That you were on your hospital bed, your heartbeat was about to go, You couldn't even move your arms and God had to bring the medicine of the gospel to your mouth so that you had to open your mouth and receive the medicine. Sproul says, if you believe that that is what happened to you in your salvation, then you do not have an accurate understanding of the grace of God. Because the truth is that we were not just men in the hospital about to die we were dead we could not even open our mouths to receive the medicine it is not that God had to open our mouths that we had to open our mouths and God placed the medicine so that we swallow it no we were unable to even contribute even that Sproul says that dead men will not open their mouths to receive anything. They must be miraculously raised from the grave. He gives a second illustration that is very helpful to me. He says, consider a drowning man who is unable to swim. This man has gone under the waters two times and he is bobbed to the surface gasping for his last breath. If he does it again and goes into the water, he will surely die. This man's only hope, this man's only hope for life is that God throw him a life preserver. God must throw him the preserver and toss it precisely to the edge of this man's outstretched finger so that all the man has to do to be saved is to grab hold. If he grabs hold to the life preserver, he will be saved. And if he does not grab onto the life preserver, then he will be lost. Now again, Sproul says, is this how you view salvation? Is this what you believe happened to you in Christ? Is this even the way you picture the gospel to sinners? God's throwing you a life preserver. Grab on. He says again in this illustration, the drowning man is in a serious condition, but the illustration is incomplete and inaccurate. 
In this illustration, the fingers of this man are the crucial link to salvation and his eternal destiny depends on what he does with his fingers. But that is not the biblical picture of salvation. Paul says that the man is dead. He is not merely drowning. He is already sunk to the bottom of the sea. It is futile to throw a life preserver to a man who is already drowned. If this man is to be saved, then God must dive into the water and pull the dead man from the bottom of the sea and then perform spiritual, miraculous resurrection. He must breathe into the dead man new life. What Paul is saying in chapter two, verse one, is remember your condition. Remember your condition. Remember you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's a second thing that Paul says in this chapter. He says not only remember your condition, but remember your conduct. Remember your conduct. He says, verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then he says, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. What he's saying here is that you were dead, you were spiritually dead, but you were not passively dead. You were not a dead man in his corpse who didn't do anything. No, I think the better picture is that of, you were like a zombie. You guys ever read zombie comic books or zombie stories? You were a dead man who was doing things with your deadness. You were active in your deadness. You were actively expressing the deadness of your heart. And Paul shows us here three ways that we expressed our deadness. He says, first of all, you were following the world. You were following the world, following the course of this world, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. You live for the world. The world characterized your values in your heart. You once lived according to the course of this world. Secondly, he says, you followed the devil. You followed the devil. Verse two, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience. That word prince has the idea of temporary authority. God has given Satan temporary authority to rule over the fallen angels. First John chapter 5, 19 says that the whole world is in the power of the evil one and we once followed the ways of the devil. Thirdly, he says, you followed the flesh. You followed the world, you followed the devil, and you followed your flesh, among whom, verse three, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. The deeds of the flesh, in Galatians 5, 19, immorality, impurity, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness. Those were the things that characterized our lives. We were following the world. We were following the devil. 
we were following our flesh and we expressed our spiritual deadness in these three ways. Romans chapter one verse 29 says that the walk of the unbeliever is this, he's filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. This is the description of depraved man in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And Paul is saying, go back and remember your conduct. Remember your conduct. You lived according to the values of this world. You follow the prince of the power of this air. You live to fulfill the fleshly desires of your heart. And you are powerless to do otherwise because you were dead in your sins. And when we were not giving full expression to our sin, when we were not giving full expression to our depraved hearts, let's face it, what we were doing was what the Pharisees were doing. We were seeking to cover up our depravity with a veneer of human righteousness. We're seeking to clean the outside of the cup and put whitewash on the tombs while the inside of the cup, our hearts were filled with dead men's bones. This was our conduct. This was who we are before we came to Christ. And this is this is a, how much God loved us. You know, brothers and sisters, I, I struggle with sin. I mean, do you struggle with sin? I struggle with sin. I struggle with temptation. I struggle with discouragement at what appears to be the lack of spiritual progress in my life. And sometimes I'm quoting the words of the psalmist where he says, my sins are more than the hairs of my head. My sins are gone beyond me. I cannot even see. And as I said, the older you get, the more you feel the weight of your sin because you see how your sin affects the people you love. I mean, when I was younger, I just, well, my sin was just, you know, I sinned and nothing horrible seemed to happen. But now it's if I sin, it affects my wife my children, my church. And the one thing, even a couple weeks ago, I was just wrestling with my sin and my desire to progress and yet the slowness of my own spiritual progress and, and the Lord was bringing me to this text this week and showing me, Dan, I loved you when you were dead in your sins. Dan, I loved you when you were blind and you were deaf. 
I loved you not only when you struggled with sin, I loved you when you were sold out to sin. I loved you when you were sold out to the world. I loved you when you were following the prince of the power of the air. I loved you when you had nothing but your flesh. And if God loved us when this was our conduct, then how much more will he be faithful to us now that we are his children? Paul says, go back and remember your condition. Paul says, go back and remember your conduct. And then thirdly, he says, remember your condemnation. Remember your condemnation that was yours because of sin. He says, verse three, that we carried out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by nature, by our essential being, children of wrath, or it could be translated the genitive here, we were children who were destined for wrath. We lived under the condemnation of a holy God. You know, let me just share my heart with you. I have a passion, as we all do at our church, and you've heard this before. I have a passion that you as believers, you as members of Cornerstone, would grow in your understanding of the gospel. That is our heart. That is our focus. We want you to grow in your understanding of the gospel. We want you to go deeper into the glorious truths of the gospel. We want you to be freshly amazed over and over again at the glories of the gospel. We want you to see the gospel not only as a means to minister to unbelievers who are in this world, we want you to see the gospel as a means for you to grow in your own sanctification. We want you to learn the gospel, to know the gospel, to to rehearse the gospel, to memorize the gospel. We want the gospel to be at the center of your heart. We want the gospel to be at the center of your life. We are passionate that we we, we put the gospel into your hearts and your lives in every form we can. We are passionate that you understand the gospel for your own hearts. And that is why I'm gonna emphasize this point, the point that we find in verse three, that if we are gonna understand the gospel of Christ, and if we are gonna center our lives around the gospel, if we are gonna go deeper into the gospel, then we must come to grips with this fundamental reality, and that is that our God is a God of wrath. Our God 
God we worship, the God we serve, the God we sing to, he is a God of holy wrath. He is holy, holy, holy. His eyes are too pure to look upon evil. He abhors with passion even the great, even the least sin, even the most hidden sin, even sins of omission, sins of commission. He hates sin. God is a God of holy wrath. There are 20 Hebrew words used in the Old Testament to describe the wrath of God that is revealed against sin. The wrath of God is used in in approximately 200 Old Testament passages to describe God's holy indignation against the rebellion of man. Paul begins his explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the book of Romans chapter one with the wrath of God. He says the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of men. Oh, if we do not understand and do not comprehend the wrath of God against man's sin, then we have no way of truly understanding the gospel of Christ. This is not peripheral to the gospel. This is central to the gospel. We must ask the Holy Spirit to illumine the eyes of our hearts so that the floodlights floodlights go on and that we see the wrath of God revealed against sin. Brothers and sisters, why is our understanding of the gospel so trivial? Why is our understanding of the gospel so superficial? Why is grace no longer amazing? Why, how can we come to the cross of Jesus Christ and not be moved, not be changed, not be transformed, not be broken? How can we listen to the truths of God's love and not be freshly moved and freshly transformed no matter how old that we've been as Christians? I believe that one of the greatest reasons for our trivial understanding of the gospel of Christ is that we have not come to terms with what Paul says is the first and fundamental truth of the gospel, and that is God's holy and righteous judgment, condemnation against sin. And it's not that God is overreacting. It's not that God's flying off the handle. It is God being just. It is that we have not come to grips with the sinfulness of our sin. And that God is just and he is holy and he is right to punish all iniquity. Nahum chapter one verse two says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Verse six, who can stand before his indignation? 
Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Psalm 7, verse 11 says this of the wrath of God, that God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He is bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. He said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew the those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 3, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why are we so shallow in our understanding of the gospel? It is because we have neglected one of the first and fundamental truths of the gospel. God's holy anger against the sinfulness of sin. John Stott writes that the wrath of God is God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, his settled refusal to compromise with sin his resolve to condemn sin as a righteous judge. One commentator writes that, that what makes God's wrath so frightening is that it is consistent, it is controlled, it is judicial. It is not that God merely gets angry from time to time and lashes out in anger and then forgets the whole deal. It is rather that his wrath is an inevitable and growing opposition to all that is opposed to his righteousness. Jonathan Edwards said this, that the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow is made ready on the string. It is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. The God who holds you over the pit of hell as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, he abhors you, he abhors you. He is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear, to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 more times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince and yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. He says, oh sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it to burn it asunder. Paul says in verse three to the church at Ephesus, you need to remember your condemnation. You need to remember 
that you were children of wrath. You need to remember that this was a sentence you lived under. And this is the eternity you would have experienced had not Christ saved you. And it is only, catch this, it is only, dear brothers and sisters, it is only when we come to terms with the holy wrath of God that is revealed against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men, it is only when we understand and we tremble against the fearful weight of eternal hell that is the just punishment for our sin. It is only when the Holy Spirit illumines our eyes to consider the fierceness of God's vengeance and his anger against sin that our hearts are prepared to understand the cross. For it is at the cross that Jesus died to stand in our place so that the holy wrath of God that you and I deserved would be unleashed on this perfect and holy substitute. Understanding God's wrath is a key to understanding the gospel. It's a key to being amazed by grace. Listen, brothers and sisters, do you come every Sunday and you hear Jesus died for me and you walk away unmoved? Do you come on a Sunday, you sing these songs that Christ died in my place and your heart's not stirred? Do you open your Bible, read about God's grace? Oh, that's nice, and close your Bible and go on with your life? Do you, do you come and you just rehearse these things and, and yeah, they're nice and they're, they're fine and, and you're not moved, you're not changed? Paul would say, you need to go back. Remember your condition. Remember your conduct. Remember your condemnation. And listen, I know, I know this message hasn't been easy. I know, I know these truths are not nice to hear. I know, I know none of this is painless. But all of these first three points are gonna lead us to the fourth and the final point in this text, which is a point we're gonna consider next week as we take communion where Paul says, remember your conversion. Remember your conversion. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I think most sermons should have a happy ending. I think most sermons, almost every sermon, should have a end on a note of joy, end on a note of hope, end on a note of rejoicing, triumph, victory. For this sermon, I'm gonna make an exception. What I want to ask you to do with this sermon is this week, as you prepare for the Lord's table next week, 
that you would go back and rehearse in your heart these three things. Your condition before Christ, you were dead in your sins. Your conduct as an unbeliever, how you follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your condemnation before a holy God, how you were a child of wrath, And if those three truths bring you to sorrow, brokenness, even a sense of a little depression, I think that might be okay. Because if our hearts are going to be prepared to be amazed by grace, then the Spirit needs to do a deep, work in our hearts with the reality of who we are before Christ. So that when we see the grace of God, what he has done in our lives, that no matter where you are in your Christian life, no matter how old or how young you are, that you and I would be freshly amazed, amazed, amazed by God's amazing grace toward us in Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? And let's close our time together. Our Father, we stand speechless before who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And we are sinful men and women. We live among a people of unclean lips. We are ourselves people of filthy hearts, filthy mouths, filthy minds, filthy conduct. What an incredible truth it is that when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that you had mercy on us, that you loved us, that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for us and oh God what incredible truth it is that Jesus has taken our condemnation our wrath he's paid for it in full I pray Holy Spirit that for every believer here that we would walk away Lord from this passage amazed by grace amazed by mercy, amazed by love, changed and transformed as we consider these things. Would you do this deep work in our heart? Would you open the eyes of our heart to see the truths of this passage? And we'll give you glory and praise. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.